Before we get started, I just wanted to say thank you to everyone who gave uh, to the staff blessing. We are so blessed. So thank you very much. We just appreciate you. We love you. It's a privilege to serve you. I wanted to take a minute to um, recognize to our elders. So I thank you for recognizing us as staff. That was Monica, Tom Sanger, Stanley Dahl, and I. But um, if our elders could please stand. Um, the ones that are here, we have Steve, Crystal, Leslie, Kay, Aaron, and then I know um, we also have uh, Mike Bueller, who's probably online. I just wanted to take a minute just to say thank you to you all because you've been serving through a crazy year of lots of stressful changes and decisions and it's just been intense. So thank you, thank you for being generous with your time and resources. They've been available to care, be protective of and support this church body. And we've spent a lot of time in prayer and study. And there's really very much a sense that they're helping us carry the weight of leadership, even behind the scenes, things we all might not see they're helping carry that weight. And I'm just so appreciative of that. Uh, Aaron spoke last week about taking inventory of 2020 and looking at what remains of value. It was really good. Um, I recommend you listen to it. Jesus is the builder, farmer, rock and bread. And he read this scripture from Matthew seven. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against the house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. Just, just so, um, such an encouraging and foundational scripture that we would be built on the rock of Jesus Christ. Jesus builds his church and we build our lives. He builds us, but we also center and put our lives and focus our lives and anchor ourselves in Jesus. So for the next several weeks, we're gonna be really focusing on Jesus, all the things Jesus, the sayings, the doings, the comings and goings, the stories, and today specifically, the heart of Jesus. Uh, last week, Aaron said, who is Jesus? Would the real Jesus please stand? And he talked about different types of Jesus. Um, this, um, over Christmas break, my niece Lydia had us playing this game of charades that was so fun and so different. But at one point in the game, we were actually playing with sheets over our heads. So imagine trying to guess what's happening behind that sheet in a game of charades when there's a sheet over your heads. And I think sometimes when we look at Jesus, we're like, what is he doing? What is that? Is he reading a book? Is he tying a shoe? Is he, what is Jesus doing? Sometimes it can feel that way. Um, when I was in real estate, I had a client who was a plumber. He was a buyer. I worked with him a lot. I really liked him on this particular thing, incidents. Um, we were going through a home and we got back in the car, him and his wife and I, and he's like, we can't buy that house. And I said, well, well, why not? And he said, well, the accountant was there. And I was like, what accountant? I, I didn't see anyone in the house. And he said, you know, the accountant. I said, no, I, what do you mean? He said, whenever I see a picture on the wall of Jesus, I call him the accountant. 
I thought, oh, I haven't heard that one yet. I haven't heard of Jesus as the accountant. And every time, this is a little real estate plug for you. This is why they tell you to depersonalize your house. Because if he saw any picture of Jesus, he was like, I'm out of there. The accountant was there. After a few more houses, I looked at him and I said, listen, I said, I know the accountant. (laughs) And he's not like that. He doesn't keep a list of debits and credits. I know, hallelujah. He has mercy on us. He's He's not judging us by our debits and credits. Anyways, I really love that client, Um, and it became a running joke. You need to get to know the accountant. (laughs) Today, I want to talk a little bit about Jesus. What's so wonderful about Jesus is he's not behind a sheet. He's not disguised as an accountant. He tells us exactly who he is and what's on his heart. And that's what we're going to explore for the next few weeks. He tells us exactly what motivates his heart. But before we talk about Jesus's heart, I want to establish something foundational. Paul to the Philippians says that Jesus is in very nature God. I'm going to read a couple scriptures about that. Colossians 2.9, for in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. Colossians 1.15 through 19, Christ is the visible image of God the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth, all authority, right? He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything, for God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. So God in all his fullness is pleased to live in Christ. This is who Jesus is, God in all his fullness. I love this one story about a bunch of, when a bunch of religious leaders are trying to bait Jesus and they're questioning his authority and they're saying he's demon possessed and that he thinks he's greater than Abraham. And at one point they look Jesus in the eye and they say, who do you think you are? And Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Before Abraham was even born, I am. Whoa, that's who Jesus is. Jesus is the I am. If you want to know God, if you want to encounter the divine, if you want to experience the creator, to know the beginning and the end, the great I am, let me introduce you to Jesus. Yes, Jesus is good. So we're gonna start talking about Jesus not start, continue talking about Jesus the next few weeks. Most of the stories about Jesus and Jesus's sayings, the red letters in the Bible are in the four gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. In those gospels, in those 89 chapters, we find about, out about his birth, his friends, his disciples, his comings and goings, his teachings and miracles, his anger and his pleasure, 
his suffering, his pain and death and his resurrection. But there's only one place in scripture where we hear Jesus describe his own heart. Just one spot. It's in Matthew. But can you remember those moments or a time when someone tells you something really intimate about themselves, something that's happened to them or something they're feeling or, or perhaps a motivation for why they do things or, or why they're the way they are? Those moments can feel special, sometimes scary, or perhaps even sacred. Author Dane Ortland puts it this way, when the Bible speaks of the heart, it is not just speaking of our emotional life, but it's speaking of the central animating center of all we do. It is what gets us out of bed in the morning and what we daydream about when we drift off to sleep. It's our motivation headquarters. The Greek word for heart is gonna sound very familiar, cardia, like cardio, like cardiovascular or cardio exercise. In Bible usage, it's the organ in the animal body, which is the center of the circulation of blood and hence was regarded as the seat of physical life. It denotes the center of all physical and spiritual life. And it's the middle or central or inmost part of anything. Perhaps this is why King David writes, search me, O God, know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. And David's son, Solomon, writes the proverb, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Everything comes from your heart. King David is giving permission to God to search the very core of his being, his place of origin. Imagine your motivation being pumped like blood from your heart to all your extremities and all the parts of who you are. That's what comes from your heart. Would we dare give God permission to search us out like that? Yes. <laughs> God is faithful and kind and tender with our hearts. So Jesus, God, opens himself up and reveals to us what his heart is like. Jesus shares with us what gets him up in the morning and what he dreams about. Jesus spells out for us the motivation that pumps through his heart and into his body. And remember, who is his body? We his body. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 29. Here it is. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Other translations say his heart is gentle and humble, humble and gentle, gentle, humble, easy to please, mild and meek, gentle and lowly in heart, 
Remember Colossians, the visible image of the invisible God, the one who created before anything else, the one who's supreme, the one who made thrones, kingdoms, rulers, authorities, the one who existed before anything else, the one who holds all creation together, the one who's head of the church, which is his body, the one supreme who over all who rise from the dead, the one first in everything, the one who is God in his fullest, is gentle and lowly in heart? Yes. Isn't it beautiful? We're not talking about a God who's trigger happy, harsh or reactionary or easily exasperated. We're talking about a God who is more likely to open arms than point fingers. This is Jesus, the very nature of God. The heart of Jesus, the motivation center is gentle and lowly, meek and mild, gentle and humble. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm sure you're all hearing all those other scriptures. I'm not talking about an anemic, passive, weak Jesus. The same Matthew who records that Jesus says his heart is gentle and lowly also records Jesus' scathing woes to the Pharisees or his cursing of the fig tree or the time he drives out the money changers in the temple. I'm not talking about a weak God. I'm talking about the motivation of Jesus' heart at a gut level. I'm gentle and lowly in heart. The same word for gentle is used in Matthew 5, 5, where it says the meek will inherit the earth. Or in Matthew 21, 5, that quotes the prophet Zechariah, the king is coming to you humble and riding on a donkey. Let's look at some definitions for meek. Enduring injury with patience and without resentment quiet, gentle, and not willing to argue or express your opinions in a forceful way, humbly patient or quiet in nature. The next one, bridled power. I don't know where I heard this, but I heard this definition for meekness ages ago, and it's in my head, but I don't know who to quote. And it's bridled power. And the image that came with it was of this big, powerful, majestic horse that is restrained and controlled with just the simple touch of the reins with a bridle. Isn't it beautiful? And the word lowly overlaps with gentle. It's, it's the same word twice. Jesus is emphasizing his point. My heart isn't just gentle, it's also lowly. In biblical use, usage, I use Strong's Concordance a lot for all of this in Blue Letter Bible, if you're curious where I get this information. It's generally translated humble. James 4, 6, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This is another example of how that word is used. Mary's song that she sang, she said, God exalts those of humble estate. And Paul encourages us as believers not to be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. It's position or status of low degree. 
This is who Jesus is. He's not (laughs) hoity-toity. The God we worship is real. We can touch him. We can handle him. We can connect with him. Humility and meekness course from his heart through his body, and his heart should beat through us. Remember, Jesus is the vine. We'll probably talk about that later. But Jesus is the vine, and we are the branches. His blood, his heart should flow through us. We love superhero stories, don't we? Those Avengers, those Marvels, those, I don't know. Forgive me if I just crossed groups. But it's always about ordinary teenagers with pimples and problems who are bestowed extraordinary strength or x-ray vision or the the ability to be invisible. Think about Spider-Man, Superman, or video games. Think about video games. Every time you reach a new level in a video game, some kind of power or gift is unlocked, right? You get more lives, more tools, more ammunition right, in a video game. But that's not Jesus's way. It's not, it's not how the kingdom works. Jesus's way is gentle and lowly. He doesn't become a superpower, Philippians 2, 7. He makes himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. I love Hebrews 5, 2. The whole book of Hebrews compares Jesus to a high priest and calls Jesus the ultimate final high priest. So we would never need another high priest again. And speaking about high priests, it says the high priest is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and going astray since he himself is subject to weakness. It's incredible. Jesus identifies with us in our lowest state, in our weakness, in our struggles, in our problems. Ephesians 5.1, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to others, to God. I read that a couple weeks ago, but I wanted to read it again. We are to imitate Jesus and walk in that same humility. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a Lutheran priest during World War II, and he resisted Um, the Nazi regime and ended up incarcerated, ended up in a camp, ended up um, being killed in the camps. And this is what he said. He said, the church is the church only when it exists for others, not dominating, but helping and serving It must tell men of every calling what it means to live for Christ, to exist for others. This is what we get to do. We get to walk with that same heart for others, laying down our lives for others, 
allowing the, the goodness of God to flow through us to others, his mercy and his kindness. I want to read a story from a Max Licato book. Um, it's from uh, Next Door Savior. Next Door Savior. Dr. Maxwell Maltz tells a remarkable story of a love like this. A man had been burned and disfigured in a fire while attempting to save his parents from a burning house, but he couldn't get to them. They perished. He mistakenly interpreted his pain as God's punishment. The man would not let anyone see him, not even his wife. She went to Dr. Maltz, a plastic surgeon, for help. He told her not to worry. I can restore his face. The wife was unenthused. Her husband had repeatedly refused any help. She knew he would again. Then why her visit? She told the doctor, I want you to disfigure my face so I can be like him. If I can share his pain, maybe he'll let me back in his life. Dr. Maltz was shocked and he denied her request, but he was so moved by her love that he went to speak with her husband. Knocking on the man's bedroom door, he called loudly. I'm a plastic surgeon and I can restore your face. No response. Please come out. Again, there was no answer. Still speaking through the door, Dr. Maltz told the man of his wife's proposal. She wants me to disfigure her face, to make her face like yours, in the hope that you will let her back into her, your life. That's how much she loves you. There was a brief moment of silence, and then, ever so slowly, the doorknob began to turn. The way the woman felt for her husband is the way God feels about us. But he did much more than take, make the offer. He took on our face, our disfigurement. He became like us. Just look at the places he was willing to go. Feed troughs, carpentry shops, badlands, and cemeteries the places he went to reach us, show how far he will go to touch us. He loves to be with the ones he loves. Jesus, you're so beautiful. I really believe that today Jesus wants to remind us and in this year, as Stanley shared earlier, he wants us to be these kind of people. He wants to remind us who, Jesus wants us to know who he is. He identifies with us. He's accessible, he's gentle, he's humble. I also think today that God wants us to remember that we're his body and we're imitators of this heart. We should have the heart of Jesus gentle and lowly coursing through our veins for others. 
We are so blessed by a savior who has reached out for us this way. We are blessed to be that blessing to others in our homes, in our land, and in the nations. Let's stand and pray. I just want to read that scripture one more time, Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 29. Jesus' words, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. Or another word is for those of you who have burdens. Come to me, all of you who are labor and have heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. When you do this, you will find rest for your souls. So, Jesus, we just pray today. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for coming to be like us. Thank you for coming to our humble estate. Thank you for identifying with me and my weaknesses and my sin and my struggles and my pain and my trouble and my joy. Thank you for being with me. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for being with the world right now. We are in, in, in such a place of chaos and angst and turmoil. And yet you are here wanting to touch us and be touched. Thank you for your heart for us. We just say today, we receive your heart. We open our doors to you. We open our lives to you and say, we take your yoke upon us. In Jesus' name, amen.